If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Now, Chris and Tyler, it's time for a showdown. The showdown is, who does the best narrator's voice from Darkest Dungeon? The voice of Wayne June. Okay, I'll go first. I'll read a little line and then you see if you can beat me. You're okay. We face the fearsome truth of the darkest dungeon. <laughs> you went for the darkest dungeon killer, the stinger. I don't, that's crazy. I wouldn't do that. Not a significant source of saturated fat, trans fat, all <laughs> dietary fiber, vitamin D, calcium, iron, and potassium. Very good. Pay one quarter of the total of your 2022 net tax owing, and one quarter of any CPP contributions. That's the most terrifying line, for sure. <laughs> well done. Fantastic. Uh, well, I think we all won that. So I was just, uh, we were chatting about this a little bit before the podcast started, and I hear that you, you've never met Wayne June in person. He's this mysterious voice um, that, you, that you've never seen materialize in the flesh. Yeah, he lives out in Pennsylvania, and uh, we've worked with him now. Um, as we were saying, Red Hook's been around for 10 years, so we've been collaborating with him for 10 years and uh, multiple emails and a few um, voice calls, but never shook the man's hand, which I, I would love to do. We've invited him out a few times, but the timing just never lined up, I guess. So, Yeah, he's a disembodied voice, which makes it even more just kind of cool and mysterious because he is an interesting guy with lots of cool pursuits and, and and performances and so it, it's kind of fun to have a small amount of mystery yeah our experience of working with wayne june is just like the player's experience of working with wayne june in the game like we have the same level of exposure to him i'm right and who was it that was listening to audiobooks by read by wayne june who thought of getting him as a narrator in the first place yeah, that, that was me. I was doing a lot of freelancing. And so I'd work really, really late. And I had, you know, my first, uh, my, my first kid was really young and um, I had been laid off 10 days after he was born. So I was doing a lot of as, as much work as I could. And uh, I just stumbled on it randomly. Um, and I would just put them on repeat all night long and, and work to them. And then I sent him an email randomly. and I just said, hey, I just really love what you're doing. You sound great. You bring like so much like you know, value and entertainment and immersion to these stories. And he said, Oh, you know, cool, cool, man. Uh, what's your address? I'll send you a, a, a CD of like him reading Poe. So he sent me uh, a compact disc of him reading a bunch of uh, Edgar Allan Poe stuff, which was awesome. And then I didn't talk to him again for years until um, Tyler and I were looking at the launch trailer or the, sorry, the, the teaser for, for the first darkest dungeon. And, uh, thought okay what if we had a narrator yeah it, it it's sort of even funnier because I, I remember us saying something to the effect of we need to get a narrator and it would be great to get someone that sounds kind of like Wayne June on those audiobooks 
Yeah. And I don't think it was immediate. I think it took us a few discussions to suddenly realize, wait a second, he reads those for money. I wonder if we could pay him money and he would read things for us. Um, and then when that clicked, you know, we we're really lucky that he was he was into it. Yeah, I remember sending that email too. <laughs> Do you think is there any way, you know, we didn't have a big budget, everything was bootstrapped. But um yeah. he's like, Yeah, cool, I'll do it. <laughs> that was it. It's incredible to think now, all these years later, that that was something that wasn't always going to happen necessarily. That it right. was, you know, a few ideas or an email or a chance um, pitch that kind of secured it in the first place. But anyway, well, it's not. It, if I could jump in, it's not the okay. only time that happened. Stuart Chatwood, our composer, um, was in a very famous or still famous uh, Canadian uh, rock band called the Tea Party, and. Uh, Tyler randomly bumped into him by virtue of uh, his girlfriend at the time, I think, and came back to the studio and was like, hey, I met a guy, you know, who might want to do our music. You know, he's in a band. And I'm like, they're all in bands. Like, come on. Um, and he's like, yeah, it's called the Tea Party. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But being American, Tyler had no idea that this was like a fairly significant big deal and had gotten me through like all of my university education. Um and so we randomly hooked up with Stuart kind of the same way, just a bit of like stumbling happenstance. And that's been a fantastic collaboration as well. So we've been kind of twice blessed by, uh, by the fates there. Yeah. It's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> so welcome to one to one. Uh, this is a podcast series where I, Bertie, a longtime journalist for Eurogamer, find brilliant people from around the world of games to have a proper chat with. Um, so today, for those of you listening, two people whose work has frustrated me and delighted me in equal measure in recent years, two people who created something so dark and twisted and punishing that not many can bear to play it. Uh, today, I'm with the co-creators of Darkest Dungeon, Tyler Sigmund and Chris Borats. Welcome. Chris, you need an A on the end. Yeah. <laughs> Barassa. Sorry. Chris Sorry. Barassa. Uh, <laughs> so you are building up to the launch of Darkest Dungeon 2 at the moment. Um, as we speak, it's a few weeks away, about three and a bit weeks away. Um, what have I interrupted you doing today? Uh, panicking no um we we actually are uh we are sending um builds or the game to press in a week so it's kind of a funny thing because even internally we're like well may 8th we still have this many days and we actually don't we i mean we do until may 8th but um you know we, we try to get the game in and press his hands a little bit early so they have a chance to play it have some impressions to be able to write some things up that might be present for launch day so um I was literally working on tutorial um, along with a few other people because it's a great chance to sort of just re, you know, revise that a little bit. Chris, I think is drawing. Still. <laughs> uh, I've been drawing corpses and um, painting uh, veins on the final boss till midnight for the past couple weeks, <laughs> as well as marketing stuff and you know all the other stuff that goes along with like wrapping up the game and making sure everything is happening and under control. Yeah, there's, I noticed, um, because, you know, a couple of other big games are coming out soon. For example, a little game called Zelda and then uh, Diablo. Um, it's and I noticed title. them on both of the hosts, yeah, on the, 
when the latest Breath of the Wild, uh, or, or I forgot what it's called, sequel, um, trailer came out and, you know, the, the person um, speaking, you know, before the trailer said, oh, you know, I want to thank you. We've wrapped development and that's really exciting. And I was thinking their game, you know, we haven't wrapped development. And then Diablo, I think, put out a tweet yesterday yeah. the day before that they had gone gold. And, you know, um, one advantage of being so small and also our first release is only on, on PC is, um, you know, we could actually be slipping things in at the last moment. Whereas if you had to have already passed console certification, then you kind of have to be done by now. Like if we were not done by now and tried to release May 8th, we'd be in major trouble. Um, but it's it's a little different. Here we're able to um, slip improvements up. Not, not only to the last moment, but continue adding them after launch too. So we're, we're busy at work there because we don't want to leave any time um, unused, really. Yeah, how many people are you now? We're uh, around 25, but the total development effort probably is like, what, 32 or 33 if you count all of our contractors, contributors, that kind of thing. Okay, and does it feel quite different? I imagine it does, but does it feel quite different this time around with Darkest Dungeon 2 to how it felt uh, many years ago with Darkest Dungeon 1? Totally different. Totally different. We tried to carry forward, you know, a lot of the same uh, production values and, you know, Tyler and I's kind of dynamic endured. And, you know, I think the, the core of, of who we were held held strong. But the logistics of, of growing a studio, even, you know, we're modestly sized. I wouldn't say we're not in some huge outfit. But even that, like the um, just like staff expectations and, and the logistics of, of hiring and wrangling and then you know now we have 20 people on the internet so when the internet goes down we need an it person like just all of these trickle down effects kind of um are just like growth opportunities for us <laughs> as people <laughs> and also like kind of a raging pain sometimes too um yeah but luckily we love the game so it's like kind of nice to just stay connected to that and are you are you nervous about the game coming out yeah i i don't i don't think you can do this without being afraid yeah it's uh yeah i mean there's just so much riding on making games because it's inherently a hit driven business and um you know you spend years making it i mean that's the development cycle on darks dungeon 2 if you include all the early accesses will have been four and a half years which okay. is a significant chunk of your life um and you know of course the game is out right now sort of but um, you know, what really matters is like where it's at on full release. And, um, so yeah, I think a, a sense of just, um, panic was the wrong word when I said it earlier, cause actually everything is under control, but there's so much writing on it that anxiety, um, is, is definitely real, you know, because, um, because of that. It's tough too. Cause like we really tried to, um, create something fresh within the darkest dungeon ip and not retread the same ground uh, as the first game so in doing that we inherently open ourselves up to um comparison critique whatever else and and we've all like everybody on the team uh has worked really really hard and i think feels a, a strong sense of ownership and and is doing everything they can to make it as cool as possible um but that investment is always like generates some amount of insecurity you know in you as a creator you know you want it you want it to land and you know that it's like we're kind of coming in after the success of the first game and so i think we don't take anything for granted that's for sure 
yeah, com- yeah. Complacency is really the enemy, I think, in in creative endeavors like this. And so, we endeavor to not ever make ourselves feel complacent. Um, so it's like, even though Dark Dungeon One was very successful, um, oddly that that doesn't necessarily relieve pressure. It it can increase it in in its own ways. I mean, the pressures are maybe different in that, like, you know, we haven't <clears throat> wagered our houses on it this time, but. Um, but there's a lot of expectation and, um, and we care equally much about like how this game does. And so, um, but that keeps you in that spot, I guess, of being hungry. You know, I think that like, if you get complacent with game design and development, like you're going to get passed by. I mean, there's so many great quality games, the production values, you know, competition level just continues to increase. And so you, you sort of have to stay on that ragged edge. Yeah. So I want to go back in time a bit uh, today and I want to kind of tell the story of Darkest Dungeon a little bit. So we're going to kind of jump back in a time machine. Um, well, back further than 10 years, actually. 10 years was where kind of Darkest Dungeon development started proper, I think. But we're going to go back a little bit uh, further because I want to hear about the ideas that sparked uh, the creation of, of these games Um and I suppose all the challenges and, and revelations that occurred along the way uh, to getting where we are um, now. So the story begins, does the story begin in 2004, I think, when you meet? Oh. Does it begin earlier in one of your minds? Jesus, I don't know if my time machine works as well as yours. <laughs> I mean, I, Chris, you all have to, I mean, there's definitely, uh, well, I know there's little anecdotes like Chris has mentioned, like, oh, I was sketching the jester when I was in high school or something, but, but I, I don't think the game had uh, really materialized in any way by then. But yeah, Chris and I met at Backbone Entertainment or what was known as Digital Eclipse Software, maybe even at the time we met in 2004, Chris had already been there. I don't know how long, maybe a year or two, maybe a year. Um, it was my first um, video game job. And, uh, yeah, I can't believe that's, that's basically, that's what, 19 years ago now. Um, yeah. so, um, and we didn't then, have a chance to really work together on a project right away, but, uh, other than he did the cover art for, didn't you do the cover? Age for, of Empires? Age of, yeah. My first project there was Age of Empires, the Age of Kings for Nintendo DS, which ended up being like a dream project, turn-based conversion of the original, but Chris did the cover art. So that was our first, um, accidental collaboration. <laughs> Um, but then we were able to work together on, on a couple games there. So how soon I read that, um, you were talking about game ideas quite early on, uh, but it would be a number of years before you kind of took that any yeah. further. Is that true? Were you already coming up with game ideas? I mean, we had to get to know each other, you know? So I think we weren't like immediately <laughs> trying to vibe out a, a game idea we we hung out for a number of years and were friends and um played a bunch of cards together and hung out and um once we realized that we we're kind of had like i think compatible design and values in terms of game development um what was important what was attractive about certain games uh, or interesting or compelling i think at that point we started you know it always starts the same way you're like i liked this game oh i liked it too why did you like it and then you realize you kind of have a similar perspective obviously not identical um but definitely um definitely complementary and then uh, you know we both left backbone um around about the same time uh and went kind of our separate ways for a while and stayed in touch and we're always friends and everything 
Um, and during that time, I think like that's where I was freelancing and Tyler was um, managing a, a local indie uh, shop. And, um, you know, the t we, we would talk about things and get together, but the timing was just kind of understood to not be like right to really act on anything uh, in the moment. And then kind of his his kind of run came to an end and I was wrapping up a year contract at an animation studio and we kind of were just like look if we're gonna do this you know let's actually sit down and plot out how it could work um because now it's kind of the time as opposed to like just didn't want to make it one of these things that you always talk about like I, I never wanted to be the guy who's always working on his screenplay you know he tells <laughs> you about it every time you have a dinner party and it never actually goes anywhere so we uh we, we pulled the trigger and, and sat down and really started mapping it out so when you when you sat down, when you, when you start mapping it out, do you have an idea for a game there then? And is that idea Darkest Dungeon? We had a couple different random things, but none of, they were just kind of fun to like chat about that night. Um, but then uh, I had a few like loose, I think I had the name and a few loose things in a, in a sketchbook or something. And we just started talking about the, what that would look like and then began to kind of shape it and just got excited about I mean, people say the game is hard, but I always kind of come at it like we always thought about it as uncompromising, like mm. it's permanent consequences for decisions that you make under duress with imperfect information. That's really the heart and soul of Darkest Dungeon. It's not being hard because the boss does X amount of damage. You know, that difficulty and, and where we want to go are two slightly different um, paths. And so we got attracted to that idea and just started really i think anecdotally talking through what could be the emergent narrative of the game you know imagine you're sitting around the campfire and the, the ranger hates the priest you know and then they go to sleep and they wake up furious at each other um so it, we started kind of coming at it from the experiential or thematic angle before we really worried about like a mechanical kind of manifestation yeah like it was um the piece i wanted to add was like i think chris and i were both very uh ambitious and entrepreneurial um this isn't meant to sound like a business talk um but that that was a key thing because um we wanted to make something happen you know and i remember he and i like dabbled and we thought we'd at one point we had an idea for like a choose your own like a modern choose your own adventure book that was like physical chris would draw and i would write it or whatever and then we're like let's do a web comic and then like obviously games were our love but we were trying to do these things on the side of our normal jobs and it was kind of like hard to like make a game on the side of making a game and i think yeah. maybe even we were possibly even restricted maybe even illegal yeah under our <laughs> employment contracts but i think that the shared desire to like um we we just never really loved being part of other big companies where um you know, we have to just execute someone else's vision. And that's not unique to us, but I think the, the the part that is missing, and I think for a lot of people, is that willingness to do the entrepreneurial side of like, we always describe it as like, you have to go out and hunt and catch and kill your own food a little bit. And it's it's got its big downsides, let me tell you. Because when we started Red Hook, like we tried to get some of our friends and other colleagues to join us and they were like, no, you know, that's too high risk. But, um, but when Chris... Um, yeah, we'd bat around ideas, and when the Darkest Dungeon idea came up, and I remember you had the name really early too, I think. Um, but like, I personally had grown up playing a ton of like D and D and other stuff, and it just resonated so much the idea that like getting away from the equipment, you know, like, and there's so many good RPGs about out there, so you also have to have your angle. But I think like 
doing an RPG was just like right in our wheelhouse in terms of our own loves and then doing it in a way that it just felt like a whole like a really good homegrown D&D campaign and like Chris was saying about uncompromising um apologies I have to use this line that I just used recently but Darkest Dungeon is the DM that rolls in the open um that's really what it is it's it's not a DM that has a dice that has you know the monster dice has two 20, 20s on it um it's just they're the DM that rolls in the open and there's no saving your character like oops your character that you had for eight sessions just died because of two criticals in a row. And that was kind of what we were interested in pursuing because ultimately it's a game about perseverance uh, more than it is challenge. Because challenge is just asking you to like solve a problem in your head. Perseverance is saying like, hey, in this world of like kudos and mobile games and hey, you did great. Um, what if it's back to like Tomb of Horror style? Like, well, I guess that's pure difficulty, but um, hmm. you know, more like, uh, can you pick yourself back up? Yeah, and the more interesting things often happen when things go wrong anyway, or the more memorable things. Um, so when you sat down and you were like, right, we're fleshing out this um, this game idea, what do you remember that was there? So you talked a bit about it, but what were the kind of, what were the main things? What, did, what was Darkest Dungeon at that point? It was a game we were going to make with three people in a, in a year. <laughs> yeah. And then we were going to pat ourselves on the back and probably go get jobs somewhere else. That's what it was initially. Um, conceptually, it was, uh, I mean, I wanted early on for it to look like a like comic book um, or like a woodcut. Um, so that, that was in the mix, I think, early on. Um, stress was in the mix early on. The idea that, you know, the central thesis that being an adventurer is kind of like a, a shit line of work and that you're not scrubbing around for, for I love gold. this idea. Sorry to jump in back yeah, to this idea. So do I. It's, I think it's awesome. Right. And so instead of the glory seeking and the, the pauldron growth that, that you get in a lot of <laughs> other titles, um, you know, we wanted to celebrate the small things like, you know, finding a ruby in the chest of a skeleton, that would cause you stress. That would be a horrible time. And then you're running out of food. That would be a horrible time. So this idea of like duress, stress, and its effects on um, a small group of people. So we, we've talked a lot about aliens, which I think is one of the best ensemble films of all time. And it's, you know, it explores like heroism by contrast, really. And that became kind of another central tenet of the game where you're not owed a valiant victory, but they do exist. Um, band of brothers uh you know um just any kind of situation where people were put under extreme pressure and then seeing that character arc of like suffer 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 and then sometimes people you know rally and and hold themselves together and we pulled a lot from our management experience you know running teams uh you can it's not even a joke like uh, you see what happens to people when they get very stressed out we're no exception um but like some people rally and handle this the stress and pressure you know really elegantly other people you know kind of buckle some people get loud some people get quiet and i think we just kind of were like there's a real opportunity to explore these ideas within the setting like a familiar kind of fantasy setting that is kind of an evergreen you know thing and certainly it's i'm always interested in another rpg like just another dude with a sword and i'm like hmm. you know <laughs> yeah and and the setting i i I think a real interesting thing is you're not going to hear us talk about mechanics at all yet um, because it was yeah. really this concept and like, um, and then also like grimdark really lent itself both to that art style that he was already envisioning. But I think 
if we're talking about um, an an RPG that where there's dirt on the armor, really, you know, versus that, because you even see this in movies, like you know, old old fancy movies. There's kind of like the versions where they're just they're always running around in shiny armor. And then I think one of the things I loved about Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson um, trilogy, was you know, Aragorn had like dirt caked fingernails and things like these details that made it still look handsome. Yeah, very important. Um, (laughs) It lived in. And so I think, but that grimdark setting, uh, you know, I had loved, uh, um, sadly, I'd never played it much, but I had always like collected the books and would read all the Warhammer fantasy role play. You're like a rat catcher. Like you could be a rat catcher, (laughs) you know? And so I think we immediately like carried that forward. We're like, what kind of heroes would be in this world? And, um, you know, you can see the evolution within Darkest Dungeon 1, but we started with pretty safe archetypes. But then very early on started doing some slightly um, different than high fantasy. Like the key was not high fantasy. So, you know, we have high- the highwayman instead of like, and we're, people are throwing fireballs. You know, they're dabbling in the occult and they're calling forth like mysterious, you know, powers that maybe you're going to eat them. Um, and so, but we hadn't yet figured out mechanics. And I think that was a really cool place to start um, because it you know it was like so so when we had those first days of sitting down like we hadn't worked out exactly how the game played yet um Mm -hmm. and that was part of the fun you know chris was sketching stuff we were debating i had in my head that like um what if we just did kind of a nice top top down tactical combat sort of like the ultimas like ultima four or five ultima five is one of my favorite games of all time what if we modernized that it could be so cool chris was drawing stuff like that and then um you know, you can see the evolution where we ended up with something totally different. But the thing that's always held true was the, with the, that initial kernel of like what it would be like if your heroes are really flawed and human and adventuring was, you know, fraught with peril and not about the glory. And that that's cool because that never that never shifted. Um, yeah, even to this day, this, the second game is actually even more about that kind of thing than the first. But uh, yeah. ultimately, we felt like the art the narration, the music, everything that was going to come later would be an expression of these mm-hmm. values. Um, and so, yeah, in the early in the early days, we weren't really married to an implementation. Mm-hmm. We were making a platformer, you know, like where the genre dictates sort of the the, the recipe. We were we were trying to pair it back to like what is the the central thesis? What is the the set of ideas we're trying to explore? And then we'll figure out what mechanics best articulate that you know to the player did you have when you were thinking about mechanics so so i read or i saw that i think um i can't remember which one of you it was but someone gave a a, a gdc talk in 2016 i think it was um and showed um that the game used to have or originally had like an isometric tile-based acceleration kind of thing um which eventually became side this iconic now kind of side-on presentation that the game has which then gave rise to this uh positioning and this kind of side-on battling you do that spawned i think it started a kind of subgenre a few yeah there's been a few i've seen many games now uh uh, which is wonderful uh you know i suppose is is quite flattering um were there any other big ideas that you had kind of originally or, or, or major ideas that you had initially that didn't make it through that you that you moved away from or, or just didn't fit hmm i don't know it's t- it's t- i've had this question asked of me before and it's quite tough to answer because 
again, like our development process is usually always idea and theme first. And so it's rare that we cut that stuff. It comes back in another form, uh, you know, later in the game, you know, instead of it being a character, it's a trinket or, you know, but the, the idea kind of endures. Um, whereas like, I don't think we have, you know, I have a ton of sketches that didn't end up being the final character and the man at arms had a bigger beard at one point and like things like that. Um, but I can't, I can't, I don't have like a quick call to mind of like mm. something that we had earnestly pursued and then hacked. And then it, it remains on the cutting room floor in, in the way that maybe like we did a boss or something. I think the combat system is really the only one of note because um, we were kind of lucky. Like, well, I, I don't know how you want to put it, but we sort of had an economy of or an efficiency where most of the things we decided to actually break ground on um, carried through, um, which is not to say without like, I mean, DD2 is a great example where we've reworked entire systems. But on DD1, I think, you know, the combat system, we had like various versions of that top down. There was one where like you, you moved in a, a blob, um, a blob of four heroes, and then you would yeah. rotate. I remember Chris was really hot on this rotating. I was thing. so hot on the, on the rotating blob. So it's like you couldn't control individual heroes. You moved the blob, but you had your frontliners and backliners. And so, so when you maybe okay. you're getting attacked yeah. by skeletons from two sides and you have to like try to, you know, it's almost like puzzle gamey. Um, and you know, a lot of that was borne out because of what, I mean, what he said was true. We, we were originally, I mean, originally it was going to be maybe just him and me, me doing the game maker implementation, him drawing. And that was cool to think of because we're like, Hey, like we, that keeps the scope small. We're going to literally make a little sprite based whatever. Um, Cause Chris was a 2d artist also. So we weren't going to like make 3d. And then we're like, well, we better get a programmer. Cause I need to do a lot of systems <laughs> design and, you know, and then boom, you know, you end up kind of going all in, but I think like those those were thresholds that we had to pass um, of our own level of success. And I think that thing you mentioned about how like our combat system has ended up spawning some um, a descendants, if you will. And I, I mean, we yeah, we'd love to see the term. There's the term darkest dungeon like. I mean, that's cool. But like, it's funny because you know, like I mentioned, we it was all the theme of the idea of doing RPG like this, and then the combat system was sort of not a happy accident because we worked on it, but this idea that we would create a combat system that would also be uniquely identifiable as ours was not even in the cards at the beginning. It was really just like, we just wanted something that was functional and cool. And then, you know, but the more you get into it, the more you realize like, well, let's invest in, in innovate because I mean, we also want, we had the thread, right? Like it's like, but I mean, initially the whole impetus was, um, we want you down in the muck with the heroes. So a God's eye view, um, it allows you as a player to remain at a distance from the action and you're not vulnerable, right? Because you're literally floating in the sky, looking down on a, a wide tactical view. You're looking at the top of the character's head. So they're, they're, so thematically, we're like, it makes more sense to be down in the dirt with them. The second reason is I didn't want to draw ISO sprites. That sucks. Um, there's a reason that people do them in 3D. Like, I don't want to draw that many tops of heads. It's, you can't relate with with that as well as you can, like, a nice big meaty sprite. I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I want to enjoy the work and, like, have fun making cool drawings. So um, there's a bit of a selfish reason as well. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's kind of how we got there. But work so well. I'm, I'm one of the 
I remember it being so distinct looking, so distinct feeling when it came out. I remember it coming to Steam Early Access. There were a couple of trailers and then it came to Kickstarter and then uh, Steam Early Access. But And I remember everyone talking about it because they hadn't played something like this before. And I remember it being uh, like a, a really exciting mm. moment. So as kind of development goes on and, um, you know, the Kickstarter happens and that's... Um, and that works that gets you the money you need to kind of push towards steam early access release as the release is coming around and you're, you're getting ready to show people this big idea that you know you by the sounds of it uh tyler you you've literally bet your houses on was that a turn of phrase or was no that... no there were no phrases that turned okay let's see we didn't actually put our houses but like yeah, we but we were, didn't have a lot of savings and we were you know risking a lot of it and well i know like one of our guys like dipped into his, you know, he, he's, um, uh, I say this only for context. He was the oldest member of the team and he dipped into his retirement savings very significantly. Um, and so that, you know, that, that is, it's hard, right? Cause you're like, wait, I might not have time to earn this back. And, um, you know, we were draining down whatever savings we had put, put together from previous jobs, you know, we, because we were mid career too. I think that's really important. Like, I mean, 10 years ago, yeah, I would have been like, 38 or something um and so there was a big opportunity cost because we know that we could get jobs at studios maybe at the height of our earning you know prowess whatever i don't know um yeah. and so but but no we were literally like watching our checking accounts draw down you know um you know not to zero but it was pretty panicking um i was i was into the into the buffer of money that i said i wasn't gonna spend <laughs> By the time we launched, I was like, okay, what if I spent a third of the money I said I wasn't going to spend? And so it was, you know, which is like low five figures we're talking. It's not a, you know, we were, we were, it was pretty tight. Yeah. And so do you remember, even now, do you remember the day you launched on Steam Early, Steam Early Access? If, if you do remember it, what, what do you remember about it? We do remember. I remember we couldn't get it to go live right at 10 <laughs> and we were stressing out. It's a few and minutes. then I remember we checked the um, the Steam sales something like a couple hours later because they wouldn't update and it was just like a vertical line because like no time had passed. But the and then I remember I I kissed Tyler right on the mouth. That was the only time I've ever kissed a man. Um, those are my three highlights from the day. Yeah, we were we were in this office that um, we had been subletting from another game company, and um, you know the game had attracted a lot of notice at that point but but it's still i mean you don't expect it to necessarily crush like and yeah so we we um i remember like it was only 15 or 20 minutes after it went live uh maybe 30 minutes and someone said we're number one and i was like no get off the new and upcoming or the popular upcoming because steam still had those tabs back then um and we had already been sort of in the like upcoming and raising and that but then they said, no, we're, we're on the top sellers tab and we're number one. And it, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was such a, um, a relief because you don't know what the full story is going to be, but just Chris and I had set a goal that if we can make this game and get anything close to what we might've gotten paid at a studio for making our own thing, like that is the win. That is the win scenario right there. And, you know, it was just like immediately clear that like that we would achieve that. And, um, yeah, big relief. Chris and I kissed and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it, it, 
it was really exciting. I mean, there's just no, you know, I, I'm still get goosebumps thinking about it because it's, it's, um, it's not an easy business as anyone probably listening who's um, obviously like, you know, fans and consumers probably understand, but any fellow developers very much understand. And Chris and I wasn't like the first swing at bat. You know, we had worked at other places. We had had games canceled. We had, you know, had companies fold, like various things. And so it wasn't, it wasn't one of those things where you feel like everything you touch turns to gold. It, it was, it was a very hard fought battle to get there. And we were very lucky with timing with like Kickstarter and early access that were all really important to our story. Um, but that was a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> so Steam early access goes, goes very well. The launch goes very well. And you set about updating the game, adding new things, uh, changing new things and one of these additions takes a term for the toxic um <laughs> when you introduce heart attacks i'm hoping people know have played the game who are, who are listening to this so the game has heart attacks when you build up too much stress you need to like fill a, a double bar basically but you can have a heart attack and and die um and i think it's this idea or it's rooted in this idea that the game can take control away from the player mm. a little bit and that you're not in total control of what happens to your characters and they can die and i think that's what aggravates people um and there was a corpses were a part of this people being toxic but it doesn't matter so much um anyway um this toxicity kind of festers over the next sort of period of um over the rest of the period of early access even though eventually you add a, a checkbox um where you can you can get rid of the um get rid of the heart attacks no it's actually more about corpses corpses oh, were actually okay. the biggest the, the the big thing heart attacks kind of like were in there but it was the corpses oh i mean they are kind of annoying but that's the point i suppose they're yeah. like a tactical uh a tactical issue so regardless of the the, the specific things what was what was that experience like? Because you go from launching and everyone's kind of celebrating what you've made to all of a sudden now there's a fan base. Um, I don't want to say being entitled, but being kind of disgruntled and, 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 and a bit nasty. And it was no worse than that too, because we had done, you know, we'd launched to great acclaim and every update we had done during early access to that point had been, you know, yet another home run. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first time where we had come up against, yeah, like a, that kind of a reaction. Um, so I remember Tyler was a, away uh, on some unfortunate family stuff and uh, I was kind of watching it and I'm like, okay, everybody has things to say the day the patch drops. Okay. Everybody has things to say the day after the patch drops. Okay. They're saying more now, three days in, this is like now a big deal. And then I think it was a really great opportunity for, uh, I think it was an opportunity for some pundits to um, have an angle uh, on the game. And that's where it got really scary and, and kind of um, emotionally trying, I think, for us, because we felt like, um, felt like there was a little bit of like, won't this be good sport to try to like, um, 
to really punch at these guys a little bit. And then we got really scared that the story of, of the game would be like, you know, had this stellar early access launch and everything was going great. And then it all fell apart, you know, um, because we weren't released. We didn't have review scores. All we had was the steam forums in their um, eclectic glory <laughs> and uh, the, the steam reviews. And, and those are very volatile metrics of, of a game's quality uh, they come and go and we've been through a couple of review bombs now and they're never pleasant um but we we were really worried that this would sort of end up being the tail of the tape but then we were also conflicted because it was the best idea for the game you know in this case like the prevailing strategy was to just kill frontline people which forces the backline enemies to the front where they're disadvantaged and so every fight is the same where you pile damage on number one then number two then whoever's left and this was, you know, we were, this was the correct move for the game. It made it more interesting. We could start thinking about skills that would interact with them. Um, and so it was kind of a bit of a rock and a hard place where, you know, we really did some soul searching, but we were convinced it was, it was the correct uh, concept for the game. But we had to recognize that we didn't roll it out properly. Um, and we've, okay. we've learned a lot since then, you know, we, we do a lot more, uh, close testing, uh, you know, um, experimental branch on the storefront to get feedback, to get people acclimated. Uh, they launched as really temporary placeholders instead of having nice art. Um, you know, and we just figured it's early access. We'll circle back to the art. And we did. Um, but they didn't, they didn't arrive in a, in a pleasing way. They just kind of showed up one day. So on Monday, one, one set of strategies work. And on Tuesday, uh, none of that works anymore. And I think we just learned that with an audience now in place, uh, the size that it that it was, and it and it remains, you know, even bigger now. We have to be a little bit more careful about how we introduce and roll out um, mechanical changes like that. And that those lessons, you know, ultimately served us very well on Darkest Dungeon too, because we've had a number of of you know big heavy system refactors where we're not afraid to take a look at something that isn't working and 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 really attack it. Mm. And we've we've been well served by those those learnings uh from from that period of time with the corpses because you know we have these experimental builds we have a lot more community involvement we have staff in place to help us manage this community whereas when you're when you're four five guys trying to get a game done you just don't have the infrastructure to cover the 17 rpg forums all the social media you know message effectively um we were just sort of taken aback i think in that moment yeah, um, it's it's interesting that it's had uh, a lasting effect. And, and you talked about making big changes to Darkest Dungeon. Uh, now, Darkest Dungeon 2, there was a big patch at the end of March, uh, I think it was, which has added some significant uh, differences and some, some significant new ideas to uh, to how it plays. So, um, so the game comes out fully in 2016. I, I suppose similarly to the question earlier, do you remember that? moment in the in the way in a similar way to it launching on steam early access in the first place not not as strongly from my side um it was you know it was a smaller event um just in terms of i, th I think our like day one sales maybe of of when we went 1.0 were um only maybe a third of what that our early access burst like we we had a really strong early access burst i mean it, it was kind of like not super common either uh, at that time. And early access had been on the ropes generally as a concept. Um, 
but that's to say it was still good though. I mean, I think we still charted a number one on steam and, and, you know, I think an interesting factoid too, is that, you know, 90% of our copies sold have come post 1.0 on dark standard one. So it's, you know, but, um, you know, cause it's been out for eight years now or something. Um, but also I think like by that time, you know, we had sold steadily, built the game, had a thriving community, got through the courts issue. Um, so it wasn't as quite life or death at that moment either. Whereas, you know, the early access launch was going from zero revenue, zero copies sold to, you know, suddenly meaningful numbers. Um, and so it's just like, it's hard for that to, in your, in your whatever hippocampus or whichever part encodes the memories, it's hard for that to like do it as strongly. So from my side, it was still a really exciting event, but nothing will ever, ever top Dark Dungeon 1's early access launch. It's just kind of like... It wasn't as cathartic, yeah. for sure. So um, you mentioned there that 90% of the sales have, have happened after the uh, the 1.0 launch. Um, and for people listening, you know, it's, it has been out for a long time mm-hmm. now. And it's also been ported to many different platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been expansions. Uh, there have been multiple bouts of DLC. You've continued to develop um, the game. Um, but I want to jump forward to Tiny like a, a little bit. Because I want to know... When you started talking about a sequel, <laughs> we were um, color madness. It was, yeah, it was around about color madness, and we got to talking, and you know, we needed a longer term plan, and we felt like the more DLC we make for Darkest Dungeon, all we're we're kind of just putting off. At a certain point, we're just putting off taking the next step forward and we needed like a, a new product and we were kind of antsy to to get started on a on a fresh palette i guess so to speak because like we had added so many different mechanics um so many different types every dlc we did is a different you know set of mechanics and identity and content and at a certain point we were kind of like feeling the, the timbers creaking and, and groaning a little bit underneath us so we started, okay, well, what do we want to do next? And we entertained like a lot of different ideas that some of them weren't even Darkest Dungeon at all. Um, right. But we really wanted to do more with the, with the heroes and the, and the world. You know, we see a lot of like great uh, fan art and fan fiction and cosplay and tattoos and all this stuff, uh, you know, around kind of the, the heroes themselves. And, you know, we certainly care a lot about them. And we felt like there was, there was more to, to say but we didn't want to retread the same ground. We didn't want to make the same game again, um, except they walk a little better when you go left to right or that, you know, and, and I've said this before and I, and I apologize, but we, we felt that like having consumed darkest dungeon um, to simply do it again, a little bit different or better wouldn't, wouldn't impact people the same way because they had already had that flavor. So that was a big reason why we wanted to push uh, for for 3D visuals to see, you know, how much further we could kind of take the presentation um, beyond the hand-drawn stuff. And I love the hand-drawn stuff. It doesn't, th- I'm not throwing it under the bus at all. I worked very hard on it. So does everybody who contributed. Um, it's great. And, and it's, and it's hopefully a little timeless, but we knew we had to try to give it a little bit more of uh, something fresh. Um, and mechanically it was the same thing. I remember Tyler saying, I just, I just don't want to do the same combat system exactly the same way as we just did for the last like five years. What can we do? Um, and so we kind of circled around 
the the ideas same as we did on Darkest Dungeon One. You know what what would be really exciting? And once we hit on this idea of a road trip, um, and a limited party, and a stagecoach, and um, you know Tyler had this amazing idea to sort of um, chunk up the combat system via via tokens, and um, I was hot on the three D. We we started to kind of pull a game out of that like you know that thematic mix. It's a little bit more hopeful. It's a little bit more redemptive. Um, it's a little bit more intimate. We don't have afflictions. We have relationships because a uh, relationship is just an affliction for two people. So it kind of makes <laughs> sense. And uh, out of that kind of the, the, the darkest dungeon two began to, to sort of take shape, but we knew that we wanted to be earnest and enthusiastic and, and find that development fear again, a little bit. And we got to yeah. get out of the Hamlet out of the estate, um, which was kind of exciting too, because I mean, sure, like within the estate, you know, we have the wheel and we have the cove and, um, but, but in our minds, it's all in the same little, little area. Right. And the idea of going broader in the world was also a big question mark for us that we had to answer, which is a neat one to have to answer because, you know, when you, like I mentioned earlier on this, on this talk, four and a half years of development, um, it's a long time. And so you don't want to you need some sort of creative gen uh, spark to like encourage you to follow that will of the West further into the forest. Um, and so I think of something that we had to pass the threshold before we kicked the project off was that we were genuinely excited about the sequel and that it wasn't just a, you know, a, a shitload of people bought this game. Like let's sell them more. Um, and we had just done all that DLC. So we were kind of like tired of Darker's Dungeon for a little bit, but something interesting happened where, you know, we, we we got Color Madness out the door. We started thinking about this stuff and started realizing like, oh no, this this could be fun. And especially putting it in a totally different metagame loop was exciting for us. I know that some people are like, oh, well, well why didn't you just make the sequel? You know, instead of a Hamlet, it could be a city or something. Um, well, Darkest Dungeon 1 still exists. That's the beauty of also what we've done. Well, I shouldn't say beauty. This is our strategy. We don't know if it's beautiful yet. Right. <laughs> There's an iterative sequeling, you know, like The Witcher, where, um, and The Witcher 3, what an incredible game. What a step up even from Witcher 2, which was a step up from Witcher 1. Um, but that plays to their strengths as like, we're going to go bigger. We're going to go better. We're going to, um, we, our studio is not about bigger and better. It's really about, we're a boutique studio about sort of crafting a specific experience and what we try to do with dd2 is make sure that dd1 still stands you know the art ages well like it, it um and it still stands as its own experience um you know if you want to manage 30 heroes you know you can do that if you want to manage four at a time you do um dd2 if you want to be if you want to go you know all about this like ancestor story um that's dd1 and dd2 is totally different and that was very intentional. All that was super intentional. I mean, there is obviously a through line, but um, playing one won't actually invalidate the experience of playing the other. And so that was exciting from a development standpoint because, you know, if you think of it, sure, from a consumer standpoint, that's interesting because they stand alone. But from a development standpoint, that means we got to solve new problems. You know, we weren't just iterating slightly, you know, buffing and sanding and putting a new coat on, on existing stuff. Was it hard to do? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, just at the start of the call there, Tyler, you talked about complacency. And I think, you know, an on-ramp to complacency can be just iteration because you feel like you've solved all the major problems, you know? 
we, we have the loop dialed in. Let's just make it a different Hamlet. Let's just make it uh, a, a little more. Let's just have a few more things and then, and then we're good to go. And I think that that risklessness, um, we wanted to avoid that and we wanted to expose ourselves to, um, yeah, the new a new set of problems to solve the the sort of fear that comes with that, um, the limitations you know experience them from afresh from a different angle, um, because I think that like that's where really the the best ideas are born out of that kind of toxic soup of like <laughs> limitation and and insecurity but aspiration and ambition. So I think you know there's that's where we wanted to kind of develop from because that is really inherently where we started the first game from and i think we were sort of unconsciously trying to replicate or recreate the same circumstances so that we could come up with something original instead of um, just relying on what we had done before and, and just echoing it even if the echo sounded and looked better you know yeah was it hard to see a very similar game idea from a different point of view was it hard to make it in a different way everything's going hard Everything's been hard, yeah. So. I think one, one interesting, this isn't specifically about the idea, but, you know, five people made the majority of Darkest Dungeon 1, not counting a couple, uh, you know, other contractors, like our audio shop, all that, who aren't necessarily full-time on it. Um, so then we staffed up, and then we had bigger budget, and then we had more time. You know, it's non-linear math. Like, I don't know how it works, you know, but it's like we actually, you know, to make the combat system in Darkest Dungeon 2 even though it was largely based on Darkest Dungeon 1, took more people, more time, and more money. <laughs> you know, and in Darkest Dungeon 1, we literally, like we were just talking about, we had sketches and hadn't even decided on what we were making. Then we said, well, let's try this version, and boom, we had it up and running. So there's different challenges, but, you know, that that just shows that, like, it's... Um, you're not coasting, you know, we're, we weren't coasting because we had this successful game. I, I think what it did provide for us is some financial security that we could afford to pay that price ourselves. Because the minute you take money from other people, you're now beholden to their creative version vision, um, whether they're creatives or not. Um, so that's, that's the, one of the biggest gifts that Darkest Dungeon one provided for this sequels development is it allowed us to take our time and try to do it right. But one thing I wanted to add there is, for all the talk about how we did make the game different, we did carry some things forward. I mean, combat is fundamentally same structure. Um, we, I think we improved on it. Um, you know, the heroes, we brought forth a lot of, or we brought forward a lot of the um, previous heroes intentionally. And so I think someone who loved Dark's Dungeon 1 isn't going to be like, oh my God, where am I? What is this game? You know, <laughs> you know, we've got Wayne. He's playing a different part. We've got Stuart with the same music. We've got the same audio team. We've got the same core combat structure. We have the same heroes. We have the same art that has been carried forward into a new way of viewing it. So I mean, we're also not crazy. Like it is a sequel. <laughs> um, we didn't just put the name on it and like it turns out you're doing some. You know, you're playing a game that you you couldn't even realize they're the same. They're they're um, related besides the name. So um, Sid Meier has this great like rule of thirds at least i'm attributing it to sid because i heard it from someone who used to work from sid but um which is like one third when you do a sequel which by the way chris and i've never done before in our careers so that was exciting to um a sequel but you know you, you keep one third from before you you improve one third you know meaning iterate on a third from before and you do one third new i don't think we did exactly that but the point is we definitely carried some stuff forward directly stress 
Um, we carried some stuff forward, improved it, combat, and then we did some totally new stuff, the meta game, you know, the, all the, all these sorts of things, the structure. Um, so that that's kind of neat, neat to be able to pick and choose what you want to take. Yeah, there's a lot of wonderful stuff in in Darkest Dungeon too. Um, I'm a big fan uh, of it, but I'm picking up. Maybe I'm picking up. Maybe I want to hear it. That maybe there was some trepidation here because. You know, coming back with a darkest dungeon, but it's different darkest dungeon, DDD, uh, because and it, and it is and it, even though it looks the same, it does feel quite different. You know, you're 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 just taking four people this time. You're not managing a huge roster. You're healing along the way, which is this this mm. thing as well that's quite quite big. You know, everywhere you look, there are there are small changes that feel like quite big changes to the way the game feels. Were you nervous? when this approached epic early access release um in this case were you nervous when this arrived because you already have a fan base at this point um and presumably like you said before there are expectations this time around yeah we definitely were i mean we're nervous we're nervous at every release quite <laughs> frankly but that that was a big one just i remember feeling really only just kind of relief at at that one because you know we felt like okay they're not you know, the people are excited about the way it looks. It, it plays, you know, similarly, we accomplished most of what we want to do. But, you know, if I'm being totally honest, you know, our, our early access release for, for Darkest Dungeon 2 was probably a little undercooked. Um, and I think that's why, you know, we took a little bit longer during early access because, you know, we believed 100% in the potential of the game. And we're not like, and we're comfortable looking at, at what, you know, came out on, on launch day and be like, you know, it's just, it's, it's good. It's solid. Um, but it's not all there and it's not, um, all working together the way that it could. So, you know, we, Tyler and I think one of the things that we're good at and we're bad at a lot of stuff, but one of the things that we're good at is, um, is not having a lot of ego when it comes to, you know, the, the product, you know, whatever is best for the game is kind of where we try to go. And we've tried to, you know, engender that same philosophy in, in the rest of the of the team um and so i think for us it was it was a relief that people felt like it was a, a good spiritual successor and that it it was up and running and functional but it it was not the same um catharsis of the first early access launch um we're launching a smaller storefront there nest you know consequently there there can't be as big a sort of hullabaloo about it and i think the game just wasn't wasn't totally ready um, but now after 16 months or, or however long it's been and, and these big, big updates that we've done and, and refactors, like now I'm like, I'm really excited for, for made because I feel like this is the best this game has ever been. I, I feel like it's now working together. It clicks, it makes sense. Um, it's, it's polished. It runs faster. There's fewer in like all the way, everything from the granular, all the way up to the big, the big chunks, um, it's now ready so i i'm like pretty excited for for this release yeah like early access has been crucial for it um and it's been different than dd1 early access and when chris is saying like undercooked i i fully agree but it's the sort of thing that's only obvious in retrospect i mean we, we were ready to launch and we're like hey we you know similar to dd1 we have like a similar amount of content in there and whatever but the game structure is different so that doesn't necessarily mean it lands the same way and um I think one of the neat things in in retrospect is like 
how important that early access process has been to DD2. So early access on DD1 was more about completing content and balancing. Um, DD2 has been about like looking at systems and rebuilding them um, mm. or um, and doing all those other things. And I think like like Chris mentioned, like um, we, we've taken the time to do that. And we that was our own decision. We were not um, obligated to stay in early access this long. Um, but the point of it is to want to feel like the game is done when you come out of it, you know, and mm -hmm. um, done in terms of like ready to stand on its on its two legs. And, you know, we're just like DD1, we plan to continue improving and adding to the game afterwards. So it's not like on May 8th, we dust our hands and it's on to the next project. We actually like DD1 had, had a lot of improvements, um, both free and and the DLC that came plus 1.0. And one of the challenges we found um, that became immediately apparent when we launched DD2 into early access is you're not comparing against DD1 early access. You're comparing against DD1's complete yeah. with expansions, with all the polish and time and all the things we had time, you know, yeah. um, you know, years to improve on. And so so it's it's not a fair fight even Um but the answer is to just do the same process again, is to be really critical of your own game, um, invest the resources in the areas that it needs it. Um, and so it's neat to be looking at the retrospective of early access in on DD2 because I really think that anyone who played it, we still had a really good burst, actually. Like we, I think we sold more copies on that day than we actually sold of DD1 early access in its launch day. You know, because by this time we had a huge following and things like that so um objectively it was a very good launch and especially given that you know epic is still trying to grow their storefront um comparatively in terms of the uh, consumption models of the way people buy games but anyway um all this is to say that like anyone who played it on october 26 2021 and hasn't really played it since then i think they're in for a treat i mean this sounds like a thing we have to say but it's so true <laughs> we've we've done the bleeding and and the blood sweat tears in between and um the game needed it like you know the progression system we launched with was not good enough and we did the altar of hope and that works you know like driving like you mentioned in in march we just did a really big update that was something we've been wanting to do for a long time but just couldn't find the time yet and so all the pieces are there now and um we're proud of it you know and i think like we're we're very proud of like the work we've done in between it wasn't really just about checking boxes and drawing a few more monsters and putting them in it's like we really want this game to be regarded as a really good game on its own regardless of whatever darkest dungeon one was and that's 100 percent our goal yeah I, th I think too it was awesome because i think the team really galvanized over early access um, once the game was kind of live and in the wild i think that's where you know everybody kind of started to see the game you know, even internally for, for what it was instead of uh, another another Darkest Dungeon. I think it became kind of their Darkest Dungeon. And um, certainly I'd say the last like six months has just been awesome from an internal standpoint. And maybe, you know, some people listening to this may not totally appreciate what that means, but everybody on the team seems to know exactly where they need to be. Everybody's working hard. Everybody's pushing ideas that are going to improve, the, you know, what it is and further refine its identity. So it's been, you know, uh, definitely we've gained momentum as a development team over the course of of the early access period, um, which has been kind of it was tough at first, but it's mm -hmm. it's uh, exhilarating now. And so I think you know we're we're going to kind of roll into this launch hopefully with uh, 
everyone's tired and working hard, but with a mm-hmm. with a high morale and and high hopes. It's lovely to hear. I'm I'm very excited for the eighth of May uh, for people listening. Uh, that is when the landing happens, um, so to speak. So, just a quick note: um, you mentioned uh, Darkest Dungeon One just just there, and, and that you know, you, Darkest Dungeon One still exists. Uh, obviously, of course. Uh, are you continuing to support it in any kind of meaningful way, or is it just kind of making sure it's running well and that kind of stuff? We don't have plans to add more to it, although we recognize that we could. <laughs> and there are days where we feel like maybe we want to, mm-hmm. um, but I think it would be a mistake from a resource allocation standpoint to rob from two to give one at this particular time. Um, certainly before we launch early access, and I think in in the months that follow, you know, we really want to put uh, a concerted effort towards, you know, bolstering Darkest Dungeon 2, uh, you know, exposing some some tools for, for our amazing modding community. Um, you know, we have committed to adding uh, some free updates as well, like some extra monsters. One of them was done with a Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is really cool. Um, so we've got some stuff queued up there. And I think, you know, we're, a, as Tyler said earlier, we're a boutique development shop so we can't do everything all the time we can't be everywhere everything all at once whatever um <laughs> so we kind of have to make some sacrifices and i think like right now this is kind of darkest dungeon 2's time um that's not to say that uh, we don't sort of fondly run our fingers over the box of dd1 <laughs> wonder what, what else we could we could throw at it but i think we're focused on two right now and, and we need to be it's a, it's a strange situation where we have certainly a strong business case to continue making content for DD1, but um, we've never, I mean, starting with fucking the, excuse me, the decision to even make Dark one <laughs> in the first t- place was not monetarily based. I mean, exactly. sure, there's the dream that if it succeeds, you know, you do well, but um, we try to let the creative and the product focused drive all our decisions Red Hook first. And the hope being that then, you know, um, I guess company and commercial success will follow. And I think, like Chris said, at this point, even though we're a much bigger team than we were when we started DD2, um, we have a lot of focus right now. We also need to do the console versions, which we haven't announced yet, but I'm sure people can infer that they're coming. Um, We would like to make expansions for DD2, provided there's an audience. Um, but the nice thing is we, you know, we own this, so it's totally our option if we decide to spool up and, and do something, but also right now we, Chris and I are, you know, this morning, Chris was drawing monster stuff and I was <laughs> editing tutorial text. So from a business and there's no one else setting the business strategy. And so we've actually had an agreement with each other that we keep telling ourselves the last few months. We're like, we'll just figure it all out after we ship this thing, because right now the best thing we could do for Red Hook for Darkest Dungeon 2 for ourselves is just put all of all of that energy into making the best DD2 we can. And so, you know, if we find ourselves with some time and resources and some cool ideas, then the beauty is then we just have to have a conversation and and we could kick that off. But right now it's it's DD2. Yeah. And and when do you let yourselves, if ever, think about something that isn't Darkest Dungeon? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that that time is sort of 
in the medium term for us right now. So like we're like I said, we're excited to, to support D two. We have some some really cool ideas there. Hopefully, it finds an audience that you know is is ex as excited as we are. Um, and I think you know once that is well in hand and, and moving forward, I think it would be uh, a, a really fun time to to get together and start talking about like what could be next. I think creatively, um, it would be nice to take uh, a cycle off um, from from Darkest Dungeon. Um, I'm probably always going to end up using black when I draw, <laughs> but, but it would be nice to explore something else. But we have no nothing firm in terms of what that would look like or when that would happen all of our kind of focus and energy is on darkest dungeon 2 right now but i don't i can say with fair certainty that we're not going to wrap up like the final dlc on dd2 in five years and then start darkest dungeon 3 <laughs> you know what i mean at least as far as we're, we've discussed right now but we're not really like tyler said we're not really looking that far ahead just yet it's like yeah the time for sort of idle daydreaming is is not. Now. <laughs> this is the time for work. The only thing I want to add is there is interest, and yeah. we have built and hired really good people. And you know, there's the chance that Chris and I could be incubating something new while people are building some DLC. You know, with with um with our oversight, but not necessarily like me editing the text or, or whatever. Chris drawing that, you know, um. And that is of interest because, yeah, Red Hook turned 10 this month. Um, and Dark Dungeon's in incredible. It's it's such a gift to our lives and, and creatively and, and everything. But we have other ideas. We'd like to make other things. Um, but it's really neat to have that option, you know. And we are big enough now that maybe we can do two things at once a little bit. But all that is really just subject to deciding. It's kind of like that process we described earlier where at the end of or around Color of Manus, we're like, well, what's next? And, you know, we ended up making Dark's Dungeon 2, which was probably not actually the seemed the most likely outcome at that moment. I think back then we were eager to maybe do something new, but it was, we came up with the right idea, the right thing, and we got excited about it. So it's hard to know exactly where we'll end up other than um, we have a really rare gift right now with a great team, our own company, you know, we're, we're, we're treading water fine. And that that's that's living the dream as developers, you know, and we're we're super conscious of that and don't want to squander it. But it'd be a fun question to answer, like, what is a Red Hook game? Because right now a Red Hook game is Dark Dungeon. Um, but does it always have to be? Um, you know, and so so I don't know. I, I think like those are and that'll come with its own healthy dose of fear. You know, it's fun to daydream. <laughs> no, it's a tall glass. I got it up on the top shelf. Like, yeah. whenever you're ready, we'll just throw back. And <laughs> um, Tyler and Chris, you have been wonderful to talk to today. I really appreciate you coming on this, especially at such a busy time uh, when I'm imagining you've got lots and lots of stuff uh, to do. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. And, and like Tyler said, we feel like it's a real a real gift that people are interested in, in hearing from us. So it's, uh, the pleasure is ours. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so good luck for launch. Um, I hope everything goes uh, swimmingly. Um, to everyone else listening, um, I'm Bertie. That was one to one. And we'll have more in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. <laughs>